Welcome to Enemies from War to Wisdom. Why do we need enemies? From intimate relationships to politics, tribalism, and community, we cannot seem to stop dehumanizing each other. Chronic conflicts in our families, societies, and nations seem inevitable. In this podcast, we analyze human hostilities from the most mundane to the most sophisticated. We apply psychology, psychoanalysis, art, spirituality, and relational theory in conversation about belonging and otherness. Each program will reach for a fresh wisdom that shows us how to step back from creating enemies in our lives. I'm your host, Eleanor Johnson, a videographer and artist with Emma Troop, an experimental theater group in New York City, and I am here with my co-host, Polly Young Eisendratt, who is a psychologist, Jungian analyst, author, and speaker. We approach our ideas each from our own worlds, but always from the spirit and teaching of Buddhism, of which we are lifelong practitioners. In today's podcast, we're going to be talking about hatred and non-hatred, what the Buddha taught. What is the nature of hatred, and how is it related to love? What about non-hatred? Is it the same as love? Love and hate abide together in the ambivalence of close relationships. Why do we hold them as opposites? Why does hate become a recurring problem in our relationships from the family to the larger society? In this podcast, we will explore the nature of hate as an attitude or intention, not a feeling, of indifference and animosity toward others. We will also explore the famous teaching of the Buddha that hatred is never appeased by hatred in this world. By non-hatred alone is hatred appeased. This is an internal law. How can we understand this teaching? And so I'm now going to give the mic over to Polly, and she's going to help us understand this very, very complex world of hatred and non-hatred. Welcome, Polly. Hi, Eleanor. Well, it's nice to be back on the podcast and also to be looking at this issue of hatred because I've had a number of people who responded to our podcast on love and hate. In fact, we did a couple of podcasts that circled around the issues of love and hate, and pretty much everybody that responded said, I really like the podcast, but you haven't said very much about hate. You said quite a lot about love, and you helped us get a lot of insight into love not being a feeling, love being an attitude or a practice, a way of approaching somebody. And then the question came, if hate is somehow entangled with love, is it a feeling? You know, is it an attitude? What is it? And why do people have so much difficulty with what they consider to be hate, especially in relation to things like prejudice and bias and anything in which, you know, there's a sense of detesting or ill will or despising somebody else or some other tribe. So I did get quite a few questions about the issue of hate. So I want to take a step back today and look especially at what the Buddha taught about hate, because I think many people who might know a little about Buddhism, or maybe some who know a lot about Buddhism, don't really know that the Buddha made this kind of centerpiece of one of the fundamental teachings. And the center of that centerpiece is that hatred can never be ameliorated by hatred. In other words, you can never conquer hatred with hatred. You can only conquer it by this other thing that sometimes is translated as love, 
in some of the translations, and sometimes it's translated as non-hatred, which is actually the term that I prefer. So the Buddha was actually trying to alert people to the idea, I believe, honestly, of revenge. And I'll, I'll come back mm. to that because I want to introduce the program today with a reading from the famous Dhammapada, which is uh, one of the fundamental texts of the Buddha's teaching. This is near the beginning of the text, and I'm reading from the translation by Gil Fronsdal, that's F-R-O-N-S-D-A-L, for any of you who might want to look up this translation. I believe it's a very good translation. And so this is a passage from the Dhammapada, teachings from the Buddha, and it's near the beginning. He abused me, attacked me, defeated me, robbed me. For those carrying on like this, hatred does not end. She abused me, attacked me, defeated me, robbed me. For those not carrying on like this, hatred ends. Hatred never ends through hatred. By non-hate alone does it end. This is an ancient truth. In some translations, it says this is an eternal law. Mm -hmm. So I want to look at just that passage to begin with and to pull it apart a little bit and to say, what is hatred? How does it relate to love? What is the Buddha teaching here? And why is it so important? And Polly also... Are we approaching this from, you know, really looking at it from the spiritual depth, you know, spiritual depths? I mean, if, if one doesn't have a spiritual practice or one doesn't have any interest in spirituality, is this something they can understand? Oh my gosh, I hope so. Yeah. I mean, in my view, uh, Buddhism as a practice and also as a religion is the most practical, grounded approach to life that I know about. If I had a more practical one, I would use it. Right. But right. I think that the reason it's so practical, and many people maybe don't see this immediately, mm -hmm. is that it deals with our day-to-day -day experience. It is not a salvation religion that is right. primarily teaching us about how to get out of this world into another better world, yeah. you know. So from the from the Buddhist perspective, this world, and we've kind of gone over this in various ways, it's called samsara. It's the world of ambivalence, let's say. The good and the bad are tangled up together here, and so are life and death. They're tangled up together, and so are something like virtue and non-virtue. So love and hate. Love and hate are tangled up together here. So, you know, from the perspective of Buddhism, we should pay close attention to what is going on around us and within us. And actually, there's no distinction, but we make that distinction of the inside and the outside because we need to do that in order to find any kind of happiness here because happiness is not straightforward. It's not easy to find. I mean, you must have noticed that. I mean, everybody <laughs> notices it eventually that, you know, having, <laughs> having a nice day at the beach does not do it. You right, know? Right, and, right. Or even, even saying to yourself that you're, you're not going to let the turkeys get you down. You right. know, you're going to, you're going to buck up and you're going to be happy just by what you have, etc. 
all of those things get knocked down because of reality, because of the kind of world we're in. So in this teaching about hatred, what the Buddha is pointing out is that if you carry around this attitude of revenge, like he did this to me, he did that to me, he poked me, he prodded me, he robbed me, he whatever me, or she, or she did this and this and this to me, you're carrying around something that will guarantee hatred because you're producing it in your experience through the narration. Oh, I was abused. Oh, I didn't feel safe. Oh, I was traumatized. And it's this person's fault. And it's that tribe's fault. And it's this and that and that outside of me that caused this. Now, the Buddha is not saying, let me be very clear, that the Buddha is not saying that bad things don't happen to people. They do happen. And they happen, I believe the Buddha would agree with me, regularly, like very often, not even just on bad days. They're happening all the time because this world is not a naturally awakened world. So all the beings that are bumping around here together, as I've called it, the food fight of life, they're actually doing a bunch of stuff that is deeply unconscious. They don't know what they're doing. And a big part of that, and I'm going to step back into this homo sapien thing in a moment, but a big part of what we're all doing as human beings here is protecting ourselves. And so we find ourselves rehearsing stories about what was done to our tribe, what was done to us, what was done yesterday, three years ago. Recently in therapy, somebody was talking about 30 years ago, some conversation that he had with his wife, and she remembered the conversation completely differently than he remembered it. And that's not unusual, but he was carrying that around. So the Buddha is saying that if you carry around, he abused me, attacked me, defeated me, robbed me. For those carrying on like this, hatred does not end. It does not end because you're generating it. So how can you end hatred? How can you walk any kind of path of peace? The Buddha says you have to not carry on like that. If you don't carry on like that, hatred ends. We'll call that the path of non-hatred and we'll come back to it in a few minutes. But I want to speak again just to remind our listeners that the kind of organism that we are this form that we're in, we're going to call it Homo sapien, and we're going to say that it's a species that is very violent. It is a naturally violent species. And of course, I referred to Harari's book, Sapiens, uh, early in our earlier podcasts. And it's a very good account of how Homo sapiens defeated all the other species of human beings that were on Earth, and how Homo sapiens basically set up their revenge. And one of the ways they operate is by what Harari calls gossip, or he also calls it fiction. I would tend to think of it as narration, but I understand why he calls it fiction and gossip also. So what Homo sapiens have in terms of their language that other animals do not have, the higher apes do not have it, and uh, the other humans didn't have it, is that they have the ability to talk about things that are not happening, that are not present. They can talk about those things in terms of, oh, I remember it this way 30 years ago, the conversation, or they can also talk about 
those things from the point of view of the theory that they have about themselves or about each other. For example, you may have a theory about old white men and what they represent. And so then somebody walks into the room and in your mind you say, oh, an old white man. And so here is one of those specimens. Now you don't know that particular human being, but you have a theory and you go into your theory and you say, these are the people that designed patriarchy. These are the people that set up the hierarchy. These are the people that I have suffered from. These are the people that did A, B, and C. And so you may begin to develop a feeling of despising or ill will towards this person that you do not know. And in an earlier program, I had said that we can't really hate strangers, but I'm going to revise that a little bit. I think that we can hate strangers if we have a theory about them that seems to make them familiar to us, even though we don't know them. So if we see a person who looks a certain way, and we have a narrative about how that person despised, abused, did this or that to us or our people, or disrupted or oppressed, then we can begin to hate without knowing that individual. I think it's very difficult, however, to actually get to know that individual and continue to hate that person if the person does not do something back that's offensive. So in the case of the old white man, it would be that we apply a theory about something that has happened that is not happening right now because this man has not done anything to us in the moment. And we then respond to that theory and we have the idea that we should despise or hate this particular individual, although we don't know that individual. So, um, what Harari was saying about human beings is that we operate quite a, quite a good deal through these kinds of fictions. Now, he didn't really, Harari didn't illustrate it the way I just did. He illustrated these fictions by saying, so we have this fiction called money, we have this fiction called religion, we have another fiction called culture, and all of those are stories about things that are not happening right now, but we respond to them and react to them and organize ourselves according to those stories. So on one hand, you know, the Homo sapiens have this capacity to use these abstract principles to find meaning and value in life and also to make war in life. And on the other hand, as we learned in earlier programs, that capacity to take a step back, to abstract ourselves, also gives us the ability to actually stop our actions right in the middle of an impulse to check ourselves to actually also invent all kinds of things that we've never seen before. So this ability to step back and use these fictions also is a gift. So it's a gift on one hand, and it can be on the other hand, uh, a terrible burden because we're haunted once we go into these theories about other people by these abstractions. Yeah. So um, anyway, just, yeah. just this one last thing. So hatred then is this rehearsal of all the bad things that somebody or some group of people or whatever did to you. But 
it can be based on a theory you have about some people, and then you apply it to an individual who looks like those people. So I want to come back to the issue of familiarity and hatred and love. But to say right now, homo sapiens do these things of abstraction. And I could say on the opposite side of the coin, there is a similar kind of thing with falling in love. We can fall in love with an abstraction. We see a person, that person associates in our mind with a certain kind of narrative. You know, that's a beautiful, sexual, desirable, whatever person. And we can fall in love with that person. Falling in love is not the same thing as being in love. And I believe that falling into hatred through a prejudice is not the same thing truly as hating. So I just wanted to get all yeah. that on the table. Well, yeah, well, whoa. Oh, yeah, yes, a lot to put on the I table. Just fell the off beginning. My chair, no. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the dismantling, I mean, this is where practice comes in. This is where skill comes in for all of us. I mean, to learn how to dismantle all of those threads of our again, I use the word all the time, you know, projection, but our stories, our fictions, our our prejudices, all of those things. It's big work yes it's but then but then what's the alternative it, but, but you can't I don't know how I mean to me I mean embodiment is very important and and but you have to practice this because to be able to be on top of it so you know because we all get so caught and also there's that dynamic of you know we want to for many of us we have worked hard to pull our projection off of the person and to be able to speak about the condition the condition that might you know create injustice or harm or whatever but it's different from the, the what person. would that condition be well, to be able to not out-project it on the person, but to look at something that is, say, you know, terribly unfair or unequal or, or, or cruel or, or brutal or whatever. So part of the, the problem with that from the Buddha's point of view is that you really are so unable to see the bigger conditions in which people exist. Mm-hmm. And so really, the Buddha asks you pretty much to pay attention to your own faults, not to pay attention to others. And so one other passage from the Dhammapada is, do not consider the faults of others mm-hmm. or what they have or haven't done. Consider rather what you yourself have or haven't done. And that's a difficult one because most of the time, well, that's a wisdom teaching. It's a wisdom teaching, and yet it's very practical. Yes. Because if you notice yourself going on and on in your narration about old white men, you might say to yourself, what am I doing right now? What am I doing? Am I creating a condition right now that I actually want the consequences of? Is this my desire to create this hatred in this moment? Am I doing something even if I'm calling it justice, am I doing something that's truly wise? Or if am I doing something that simply repeats what has been done to me? That's a very conscious awareness. I mean, what we're talking about is, is, is you know, just introducing to people this, this greater awareness. Well, in terms of- but you know, I think the alternative to greater awareness is greater ignorance. Right. And so that's not a very good way to go. It's like right. somebody said, you know, once, uh, if you 
think education is expensive, try ignorance. You know, there in a certain way, there's sort of like only one show in town here right, in Samsara, right, right, which right. is either get a little wiser yeah. or continue to be and miserable. We are, we are weaponizing ignorance right now in our in our culture. Well, so, I think that's yeah. always been yeah. done, but yeah. we're doing a particularly good job of yeah. it again. Yeah, we've got more uh, media coverage. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I mean, the Buddha says again in the Dhammapada that wisdom arises from this kind of practice that we're right. talking about, discerning things. Right. discerning, yes. And without practice, wisdom decays. Right. So right. wisdom arises from practice, and without practice, it decays. Knowing this two-way path for gain and loss, conduct yourself so that wisdom grows. So basically, a very fundamental teaching there is, base, is, is you know, yes, you know, you may have some insight, but that can be corrupted and that can decay if you keep on enrolling in the idea that somebody abused you, somebody attacked you, someone defeated you and robbed you, and you carry on like that, then hatred will never end. So to break this down a, a little bit further and to say, well, what is the path of non-hatred then? Let's, let's go back to love. I mean, so far is this making sense to you? It makes sense, but you feel it's... it's well, a- it makes sense to me, and I, I hold these as vows in my own life, but I also realize it's an enormous undertaking for people to, to develop that awareness. It's hard. It's hard work. So again, the alternative is probably yeah. harder. But also the being awake to that, being awake to the consequences of what your negative action is creating or what your hatred is creating. But when you're dealing with people who have... I deal a lot with people who have severe trauma and have mm-hmm. had severe abuse. It's very hard to, you know, start that conversation with them when they're when they're so in it. You know, well, yes, you, I mean, yeah. I do deal you with do, people yes. with trauma and abuse yeah. too as yeah. a therapist. And, but I'm not a therapist. Right, I'm talking right. about yes. much. You're, you're, yeah. you're yeah. talking about it in a, yeah. Different, yeah. a different yeah. approach to it. But yeah. I mean, I can you know, send people to therapy if they can, yeah. if they can, you know. Well, if, you know, but, this is what the podcast is about. Right, exactly. I mean, is to basically try to wake up people where they are in their lives and say, let's look at this issue about hatred and what hatred is. And then let's let's look at what non-hatred is. So let's let's say that um, let's go back to the issue yeah. about love because we've said right. love and hate are entangled right. Right. for human beings and they're entangled from the beginning of life from the right. the early attachment right. relationships right. Or because why you were saying why do we hold them as opposites yes we hold yes and so we need to come back to that right. too right. but so let's let's define love in the way we've already defined it that that in order to truly love someone not just to fall in love with them not to have romance not just to have a biological attachment bond because you can have those yeah there's not an attachment bond and it's not a romance right it's it's this investment in remaining interested in the other person so that you're actually always interested and curious and kind of open to asking the question tell me more about that what is that what does that mean to you so there's that first engagement with things we love is the engagement of getting to know them really knowing them as a separate being you know and we found out that if if you try to get to know even the birds you'll start to know more about yourself because the self is an interactional process so the way to learn about yourself at least in part is to know about others because as you get to know about others yourself is returned to you so the first piece of love then is that interest and engagement the second piece of love is 
to remain engaged and interested through the pain, through all of the resentments, through the abuses, through the forgettings, through the losses, because there is no end to those experiences when you love somebody because they're unconscious too. They're unconscious beings and you're an unconscious being. And so together, you're going to have a lot of pain. But if you can remain interested, you'll find that you can forgive them without even the language of forgiveness because you see who they are and you see how they suffer. And your heart is opened then because you see they had a childhood too. They had difficulties too. And you continue to be interested. And of course, if it's your own child, sometimes that's difficult because they might blame you for things that happened in their childhood and you were actually there for that. But you remain interested and you remain interested. The third principle of loving somebody is that you accept them and that you're not essentially trying to control or change them, that you're basically able to say, okay, so that's the kind of person you are. And, you know, with your dog, a lot of times people will accept their dogs and the dogs might, I just heard about somebody who got a dog that was, that's partly blind and, you know, wasn't house trained and was causing a lot of difficulty, but this person was being careful with the dog, wanting the dog to feel at home, wanting the dog to feel at ease and so on, even though the dog was making a mess. And so it's the same thing with accepting a person. The person makes a mess in your life, the person abuses you, the person oppresses you, but you continue to accept that person because you recognize deeply this other person is like me in the per- in that the person wants that's happiness. Like, that's like does true not, compassion. That's it's true compassion. True compassion, yes. Actually, action. that's that's the teaching of true compassion. Right. And I know you have a quote there from His Holiness, the Dalai Lama. Maybe this would be a good time to to read this about compassion. Just say what it's from there, that it's from his... From the Four Noble Truths, mm-hmm. the Dalai Lama speaking. Let me explain what we mean by compassion. Usually our concept of compassion or love refers to the feeling of closeness we have with our friends and our loved ones. Sometimes compassion also carries a sense of pity. This is wrong. Any love or compassion which entails looking down on another is not genuine compassion. To be genuine, compassion must be based on respect for the other and on the realization that others have the right to be happy and overcome suffering just as much as you. On this basis, since you can see that others are suffering, you develop a genuine sense of concern for them. As for the closeness we feel towards our friends, this is usually more like attachment than compassion. Genuine compassion should be unbiased. If we only feel close to our friends and not to our enemies, or to the countless people who are unknown to us personally and towards whom we are indifferent, then our compassion is only partial or biased. Right, right. So we could say in some ways that compassion and non-hatred are the same thing. And and again, I want to return to that a little more because I think that... That feels very comfortable to yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. I understand it's, that more. It's like yeah. that's the path of non-hatred. But I, I think still that we can break it down a little more clearly. Just to go back then to... We've talked now for the moment about what love is and how love engages us with a certain attitude towards the beloved. So then what about hatred? And if hatred is entangled with love, if hatred is the opposite of love, 
does it have these same qualities in the reverse? And I have to say that when I was teaching at the Rowe Center in Massachusetts about a month ago, uh, my friend there who was a woman in the teaching named Maya pointed this out to me. I mean, I really wasn't thinking deeply about hatred, but she said, look, if love is this kind of engagement in really, and having an attitude of interest in the beloved, then hatred must be an attitude of indifference. Hatred must be the attitude then of not being interested in the other person's point of view, the other person's subjectivity, Mm -hmm. the other person's background and suffering. And then hatred must be an attitude of not accepting the other person's humanity, where you basically are not going to give this person a break along these lines of, I'm going to accept you without wanting to change a hair on your head. And so in the way that hatred is the opposite of love and contained within love, I would say, because I think we always come to hate the beloved in some regards, and then we have to work with that. Hatred is also not a feeling per se, but it's an attitude, a practice, or a uh, almost like a discipline, a way that we discipline ourselves when we meet a stranger. If we're going to hate them before we even know them, we have to come across with a sort of attitude towards them, which, as I was saying earlier, may be based on the way they look. Because they look a certain way, we associate it with a story. The story is about how this kind of person abused me, did this to me, did that to me, did this to my people, did that to my people. And so now I have a a sense of indifference to this person. I have a sense of not being interested and I am not going to accept this person as a person, as a whole person. And we can look back at eons of time and look at how people are oppressed through slavery, how they're oppressed through, you know, whatever sex they are, whatever sexual orientation they have. And you can see this attitude of hatred coming through as, let's say, a dedicated attitude. Like you're not going to have feelings for that person. You're not going to be interested. You're not going to get engaged. Instead, you're going to operate by having this story. And the story is going to be exactly what the Buddha said. He abused me, attacked me, defeated me, robbed me. And for those carrying on like this, hatred does not end. So that attitude of hatred, which carries ill will, becomes essentially the way you approach people uh, that you have these stories about. Now, my, my actual experience in life and I mentioned this in an earlier podcast, is that I have never been able to hate anybody that I don't know personally. And there are only a few people that I have ever felt that I hated, and they were people that I knew very well, like my father. Right. Or I appeared to know him well. I'm not sure that I really knew him well because I was his daughter. I was not his friend. But because I had been so admiring of my father when I was very young, and then saw that the ways that he was destructive to our family, and he was mentally ill, and his mental illness came from having had a very traumatic childhood. And of course, anyone who has a mental illness is not mentally ill all the time. So there were many times when he was fine. But I remember when I was 12 years old saying to myself, I hate him. And when I said I hate him, I recognized then that I didn't hate anybody else. 
And then I recognized, because it was interesting to me, that I hated him because he had really disappointed my love, that my love, my interest, my respect and my engagement with him had broken because of the things he had done and said. And then I began to hate him. And my attitude then was exactly as we said, indifference. I stopped speaking to him, stopped being interested in him, did not want to hear his stories, did not want to hear his point of view. And I retained that for quite a while. Eventually, I changed my attitude towards him and uh, became more interested in him again. But for me, then, hatred, I discovered it as a very personal feeling, like love. But I realized that many people come to hating others through this kind of fiction, this story. This is the kind of person who did this to my people. And so now I am going to have this indifference towards a particular individual who looks like this kind of person. I think that recognizing that hate and love are attitudes or practices towards, they're not based on feelings. Feelings and emotions can come along with them. But I think also that one reason why sometimes we can come to love our enemies is because if we practice in a way that we're open to getting to know our enemy, if we actually are willing to look at that individual as an individual human being, and then we bring that lens of compassion that this person also suffers, that this person also wants happiness, that then we begin to transform the feelings of That's hatred. Right. And that changes our action. And as we get to know that individuals, often we can love that very person because we have hated. So it's like hatred and love, again, they're together. And in with family members, I think this is especially important because... In families, there's a tendency that is very strong to find a scapegoat for the things that can't be controlled when there's a lot of pain or suffering in a family. And everybody in the family who's not the scapegoat can turn against the scapegoat and together blame that individual who then is hated in this way of constantly repeating the stories about what this person did and how this person is at fault and how this person is not like the rest of us. And then that scapegoated person actually can even go crazy because that person feels so alienated and so otherized that that person cannot make sense of how could this be my family? This, these people who blame me for everything. So again, within families, you could take that scapegoated person and if you apply the principles of non-hatred, you can begin to love that person again. And so what are the principles of non-hatred? You know, I, th- I think that they start with equanimity. So equanimity is one of these words in Buddhism that needs to be broken down. It's not a word that we use very often in English. I think that uh, it's best to illustrate it by the experience we have when we're experiencing it rather than by the definition of the word. And so when you experience equanimity, 
you have the sense that you are fundamentally okay. You, you are okay with what is happening. Even if it's painful, you can stay in contact with it. So equanimity is a kind of matter of fact, gentle attitude towards any experience, any emotion, any even physical pain. If you have equanimity with the physical pain, that physical pain will lessen because a part of your pain is always the rejection of the pain, that pushing back, that hatred, that pushing away the adversity. So the sense of equanimity is this openness, this awareness of what is going on, no matter how painful it is. So if you begin that way, and you're with a person that you either believe you hate, or you know you hate, or you are yourself hated by, if you can begin with equanimity, and then simply show some interest, mm-hmm. show some curiosity, that's the basis of love. Mm-hmm. Like, what's it like for you? Yeah. How is this for you? And as you go through that process of being interested in somebody that you hate, you will find this thread of compassion. That compassion is naturally built into human beings. As we talked about in an earlier podcast, the human infant is born with a lot of interest and concern about the caregiver because the infant is so dependent on this caregiver that the infant is studying the face of the mother or the caregiver saying, are you with me? And if that infant sees that that mother's face is non-responsive, the infant will do something to try to get the attention and engagement. So we're, we have this built-in kind of radar of I will help you so you can help me. I will be interested in you so you will be interested in me. That is built in to being a human being, along with all the violence and all of the negativity and all of our tendency to remember what is negative rather than what's positive, which we talked about in earlier programs. All of these emotions, which lean us towards the negative, they're all promoting essentially a kind of critical attitude to what is around us. We have that naturally, but we also have this other natural thing of compassion. So being interested, beginning to engage with the other, that is the very first step, is the equanimity. From the equanimity, then towards the compassion. The compassion would be, I see that you suffer too, I understand that. And then after the compassion, then more interest. The more that you get interested and you engage with the other, the more you begin to see that the other is also the self. It's, it's, it's not like the other is separate from you. The other is actually engaging and is part of you. So ultimately then, you, you, you tread carefully from equanimity to compassion to the beginning of love. And that actually is also the path of real dialogue. Mm-hmm. That's the path of real dialogue. We bring people to that equanimity, the neutral response, the constraint of their hatred and negativity, and then into the curiosity 
and then compassion and more curiosity and more compassion. And pretty soon you're able to actually relate to someone with whom you might disagree a great deal, but you also have this fundamental sense, this is a human being. This is someone like me from the same species and also somebody who is here in samsara, who wants to be happy, who has suffered, and it starts to get interesting. So um, that to me is the path of non-hatred that the Buddha is talking about. Yeah, Pali, this is just noble, noble work. I mean, it's like my, this is like, I can only bow. I mean, this we 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 are we're we're putting out a call to greater human capacity and to awaken, you know, human beings within this Homo sapien, you know, existence of ours. It's just noble, noble work. Well, we are yeah. Homo sapiens, yes. and so we we really should try to get on with it with our own yeah. species. Yeah. You know, we like the dolphins, yeah. we like the giraffes, but. Yeah we actually could work with ourselves. And I think that this way of non-hatred is actually a great, great teaching and I think it's not well known, actually. I, right, you know. right, right. And I also think on a, you know, kind of coming at it from a, maybe a, a simpler point of view, this, this notion, again, for all of us to be aware that we are part of the world we view. Mm-hmm. And that the very process of our observation changes the things we observe. Right, right. And yes. that what we are looking at is you, and what you see depends on how you look. Right. So I mean, yeah. again, you know, yeah. and then but bringing in the, the, this this deeper wisdom. I mean, in terms of Buddhism, is a extraordinary tool of awakening for all of us. So that just along those lines, then hatred never ends through hatred. That's right. By non-hate alone, it ends because that thing that you're looking at, right. if you are not hating it and you're actually engaging with it. Right it becomes then something that you actually can love, you can be interested in. So it's very hard to get this, but the self is an interactional process. Right. And you, you, and yeah, you think you're protecting yourself when right. you do all of this justice stuff, but often that is actually creating a wall in which you are cutting yourself off from love and you're cutting yourself off from wisdom because there is a natural path of wisdom if you keep engaging with all of the others. So, yeah. yeah. Well, great. (laughs) Bali, thank you. Thank you so very much. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. And to continue the conversation, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can find past episodes of the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and CastBox. Enemies from War to Wisdom is recorded and produced by Chris Coltrane.